So today we are going to probably go back to where we and, and read the same passage in its context uh, as we did last week. So we're going to go back to verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbour as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbour? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went up to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever you spend I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbour to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and you do likewise. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you for the truth contained within your word. And as Kelly has prayed, Lord, we pray that you help us to uh, draw out the truth of this passage and help us to apply it wherever we, we need to in our lives so that we can be uh, this week better in our walk with you and more effective for the work of your gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, last week we had the privilege to be able to explore this encounter with Jesus who, uh, between him and this lawyer who asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I'm sure a question that many of us may have pondered over the years. We learned that the answer to this question that was given by the lawyer was a summary of two Old Testament passages. The first is found in Deuteronomy 6, 5, which is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then the second part of his answer was taken from Leviticus 19, 18, which is the part, you shall love the Lord your God, sorry, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. We then spent the remainder of the service looking at the first of these commandments. And in doing so, asking firstly, what was the agape love we are commanded to love God with? And secondly, to what extent are we to love God? And we looked and explored this. In essence, it was all about our whole being. Everything that makes us who we are, mind, body, soul and strength. We are to use our entire self to love the Lord 
our God. And if you haven't been able to watch that, please jump back next week uh, to, onto YouTube um, and go and watch that because it will just help with a bit of context for today. But today we will be focusing on the second of these commandments, looking particularly at the second question the lawyer asks Jesus, which was, what's the second question he asked him? Who is my neighbour? Who is my neighbour? It's rather an interesting question, I thought, that this lawyer gives Jesus. Surely it would have been uh, would have made more sense, more logical to ask, how do I love my neighbour? Not who is my neighbour. Seeing as though that they just finished talking about this agape love. What was the reason that Jesus asked the question? Sorry, uh, what was the reason the, 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 uh, the lawyer asked the question? Was it um, him trying to maybe exclude some people, maybe trying to slim down the responsibility that this command would place on him? Well, the truth is we don't know because Jesus doesn't tell us in the passage. But what we do know is that it is, it is his desire for self-justification and his asking of this particular question that led Jesus to give an example of what it is to love your neighbour as yourself via this parable or this story, if you will. And this is something that Jesus often does, doesn't he? And, and, and I thank him for doing so. And he starts this parable by saying, verse 29, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, the road mentioned in this verse was an important route between Jerusalem and Jericho, a path that Jesus would, as we will see, journey himself as he approaches Jerusalem. It's a dry, rocky often steep road with a descent of around 3,200 feet from Jerusalem down to Jericho, which is the route that uh, this man, this person, was travelling. Has anyone walked or been on sections of that road at all? I know there are people here that have travelled over there. Wonderful. If you want to know any more about that, then there you go. John and Paul. But this rocky, ter- this rock- rocky terrain lent itself to being perfect for robbers and for robberies, partly because they could obviously do, you know, do what they needed to do with whomever it might be and then disappear into the valleys and the rocks and be able to hide. And it was for this reason that Jesus used this setting of the parable, where this poor individual who had succumbed to such an attack and been left half dead. The parable continues in verse 31. Now by chance a priest was going down that road and when he saw him he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite when he came to the place and saw him passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan as he journeyed came to where he was and when he saw him he had compassion. I was up in the office the other day and I I said to Emily 
I read just those few verses. I said, it sounds like the start of a joke, doesn't it? You know, like the, a, a priest, a Jew, and a, you know, Pentecost, I don't know, you know. It just made me chuckle as I, I read these three characters. But Jesus introduces us to these three particular characters in his parable. First, a priest and a Levi. Now, both of these characters were descendants of the tribe of Judah, a tribe who God had set apart, set apart to care for, to look after, to work and to serve within God's tabernacle or his temple and be responsible for the temple worship. All priests were Levites, but not all Levites were called to be priests. In the days of Jesus, it's believed that the Sadducees were the ones that carried this priestly line. The priest first mentioned in the parable would have been a descendant of Aaron, the first high priest. And being a priest, he would have had responsibilities in the temple. We can only assume, because he's coming from Jerusalem to Jericho, that he's probably leaving after fulfilling his responsibilities in the temple. The second man in the parable, known only as the Levite, would have been a descendant of the tribe of Levi, as we've said, and his responsibilities would have been also to serve in the temple, though a lesser, uh, if you like, more menial task, but also to assist the priests in their responsibility. So here we have two men of God who minister in the temple and are representatives of the religious establishment of the day. Surely these representatives of God would stop to help this poor man as they should have done if they were fulfilling the law, but they don't. They walk on. In fact, they don't just walk on. The passage tells us that they walk on the other side. Then we're introduced to this third person in the parable, the Samaritan. Now, the Samaritans were people from Samaria, a region north of Judea and south of Galilee, where Jesus spent most of his days ministering. Um, Today, you could say it's around the region of the northern part of the West Bank. But what can we learn from these characters Well, there's been some suggestion as to the reason the priest and the Levi may well have walked on. It could have been fear of touching an unclean potential corpse that's lying on the road. It could have been that maybe they were also fearful of being robbed and they just wanted to get from A to B as quickly as possible. Truth is, we don't know Um, But what we do know is that the Jews and the Samaritans did not get on very well. We've seen this on multiple occasions, haven't we, as we've journeyed through Luke. So I would suggest to you that the point that Jesus wants the lawyer and also us today to take away is that within these two groups of peoples who didn't get on with each other, we could say enemies, it was the Samaritan who showed compassion and stopped to help, and not God's supposed representatives. And it's from this point 
that Jesus moves into the crux of the parable and the truth he is trying to present to the lawyer and a truth that is still applies to us today. A truth made up of two key points. Firstly, his neighbour includes all people, not just those he gets on well with. All people. Secondly, that he is to show agape love to the full extent of his means and his abilities. And we touched on that last week. So when we think of this English word neighbour, we often uh, think about the person who lives to the left and right of us at home. Some people you get unwell with, others you might not, but they, we still would class them as our neighbour. Within the Greek, this placeion, this, this, this name for neighbour, refers more to those who are near, those who are nearby. That's the context here, meaning that the lawyer's neighbours would be anyone within his immediate vicinity. Whoever they, they were, whatever he was doing, not just those people who were living next door to him. But the reason Jesus chose to use the Samaritan in this parable was to make the point that a neighbour isn't just a person that the lawyer liked. It wasn't just a person that he got on with or that he agreed with, but those who he didn't get on with also, who he disagreed with, and those who he could easily class as his enemy. This is not new teaching of Jesus. During the Sermon on the Mount, we see something similar. When Jesus says this, you have heard that it is said, you shall love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons and daughter of your Father in heaven. It's easy to say, isn't it? easy to say. It's a lot harder to do. But the reality is that it is a command nonetheless. So if God has given us a command through Jesus, there is absolutely a way that we can fulfil it. Now we are told that the Samaritan had compassion for the man laying half dead on the floor but having compassion doesn't mean that you have to act upon that compassion. Doesn't mean you've got to act upon it. He could easily have just felt bad for him, walked by and gone, oh, that's a real shame, and just walked on by, which is probably what the, the priest and the Levite did. You know, I'm sure they had an element of compassion, but not necessarily enough to make them stop and help. He could have easily have walked on by, felt bad for him, but he didn't. Well, and maybe, I mean, the, the reality is that he could have easily have gone, well, that's a Jew, I don't want anyone else to, I don't want to see any, any other Samaritans to see me helping a Jew. We don't get on with them, they're, they're separate to us. They, you know, they believe different things to us. But he didn't. His compassion led him to action. His compassion led into action, which brings us to the second key truth that I believe Jesus is teaching 
this lawyer and subsequently us, and that was that showing agape love means helping to the full extent of one's means and abilities. The Samaritan could have just helped by bandaging, sort of bandaging his wounds, maybe just giving him a little bit of water, and then sort of letting him get on, or helping him just to give, giving him the means just to recover where he was. But he didn't. Verse thirty-four. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine, which was quite a common sort of medicinal approach. Wine was. Uh, had antibacterial properties and the oil would have soothed, helped to soothe the wounds. So they would mix them together and, and, and apply. He then set him on his own animal, which lets us know to the extent that you know, he just wasn't able to walk. So he set him on his own animal and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. I would have, hope you would agree that is a very kind act. <laughs> It's a very kind act. Now we don't know where the Samaritan was off to. All we know is that he was journeying. We don't know where, whether he was in a hurry. We don't know whether he wasn't in a hurry. He could have just been strolling from A to B. We don't know. But what we do know is that he went out of his way to show this person kindness. But Jesus doesn't leave it there in his parable. He continues to show this lawyer the extent to which he expects someone to love their neighbour, to love those within their vicinity, those nearby. Verse 35, And the next day he took out two denarii, equivalent, equivalent to two days' wages. Two days' wages. And he gave them to the innkeeper saying, Take care of him. And uh, whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Showing that he was not just willing to go out of his way to help out the, the finances of his pocket and to take this poor person to an inn. But he had already, by just making that statement to the innkeeper, decided in his heart and head that once I'm finished, wherever I am, I will come back. I will come back, I will revisit this person and I will pay up whatever else, you know, he's charged to the room, say. I mean, that is pretty mind-blowing when you think about the extent that the Samaritan went to to help not just someone that he knew, not just someone who lived next door to him, not just someone who maybe was in his church or who he just bumped into, a kind soul on the street. This was someone that quite often they would regularly avoid each other because of this, this struggle, this cultural struggle between these two people groups. We see it today, can't we, easily. People saying, I'm not helping that person because of whatever reason for whatever reason. It could be race, it could be culture, it could be you know, status, it could be whatever it is. We see this tribal mentality, don't we? But the Samaritan saw through that. His compassion overwhelmed him to the point where he could not walk past. But he had to help. 
Jesus then, after finishing the parable, asked the lawyer his question to see if he was listening. And that question that he asks was, which of these three do you think provided, provided, proved to be a neighbour to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, now go, you do likewise. There's so much in this parable. I mean, there are, we could spend hours ripping this parable apart and taking every application out of it. I don't think Jesus left the lawyer with any doubt what was expected of him. Now, we don't know what the lawyer did with that knowledge. We do not know what he he did with that truth, that revelation that he may well have come to. Only the Lord knows, and that's fine. But what we are to do is to take the lessons of the parable, or at least a couple of them that we have time today, and be able to consider how that applies to us. The wonderful thing about the parables of Jesus is that even though he doesn't directly speak to us today, because he was obviously 2,000 years ago speaking to them, but we all can relate to his parables in some way. We maybe even can recognise ourselves in some of the characters that Jesus uh, uses within his parables and thus should and that's this is the crux of it should we should be continuously weighing ourselves and our lives up to the lessons and the truths found within Jesus's parables which brings me to a question a question that the Lord well as I was preparing for this this week it was a question that I just couldn't shake. I just couldn't shake it. A question that I believe that um, the Lord wanted me to share and ask today for us to take away and for us to consider. And the question is simply this. When it comes to those who have hurt you, when it comes to those who have made fun of you, when it comes to those who have mocked you or belittled you or stolen from you but done something that wasn't very nice to you, whose approach would you take if you heard that their family or them themselves were ill, suffering or in desperate need for help? Would you take the approach of the priest and the Levi? Or would you take the approach of the Samaritan? Would you ignore it, even though you've heard it, walk by as the priest and the Levi did? Maybe even mention under your breath some sort of comment about justice, which I'm very ashamed to say I have done in the past. Or would you follow the example of the Samaritan, the enemy of the Jewish man, and care for and help them? Now, I do believe the reason that the Lord wouldn't let me shake this particular question 
was that there are some in this room that are challenged with this very thing. You know who you are. But I do believe there are people in this room that are challenged with this very thing. And I also believe that if you are sitting here now hearing that, there is this, there's this real push and pull in your heart to say, but I couldn't. <clears throat> I couldn't help that person. I just couldn't. You don't know what they did. You don't know how they hurt. You, you know, all of those emotions, all of those th thoughts and feelings are just going through your mind and your heart. But the truth is that if you can't, with God's help, challenge and work through this, then you are hindering your ability to fulfill God's command to love your neighbour as yourself to the extent that God commands us to. And I really want to encourage you, if that is you, don't sit on it. <laughs> don't sit on it. Because that seed is poison to the heart. Now, we don't forget things. Of course we don't forget things, but we can forgive things. That is also something that the Lord Jesus commands us to do. Pray. Pray to God first and foremost. Get on your knees and ask him to help you to overcome that particular challenge, whatever it is, so it doesn't hinder your ability in that moment when that person, whoever that may have been to have hurt you, comes to you and, and says, I am in desperate need of help. Because i tell you one thing, people that are in desperate need of help, whatever disagreements you've had goes out the window. Right in that moment, their world becomes one foot in front of them and they just need help. Don't allow whatever that it was between you, whatever has happened between you, hinder your ability or God's ability to work through you in compassion and mercy. But I'd encourage you to reach out to someone else here, someone who you trust, someone that you can speak to. Let them walk this line with you, help you on this journey, pray with you. Come and see us after the service in the prayer area. We've got an amazing prayer team here who just want to help and pray and walk with you on these journeys. And no, being hurt isn't easy. It's hard. It really is hard work and it really is traumatic but that is why agape love is so important we looked at this last week agape love is founded upon not sorry it's not founded upon feelings remember it's not founded upon feelings or whether you like a person or not this is part of the blessing of operating in agape love it is an unconditional love that calls us to action irrespective of the person in front of us. Irrespective of what they have, they have done. A love that is focused on placing others before ourselves. A love that sees that person as their creator. God does the same God who Jesus sent his only son to earth to die for you 
and die for me, and in doing so offered us all that incredible gift of salvation through faith in Jesus, a gift that not one of us in this room deserves. And we don't deserve it because of our rebellious nature to God. But a gift that he gave us anyway. A gift he gave us anyway because of his unconditional love for us. We were in need. God, against our rebellion to him, came and met that need. There is no greater uh, example of, of what unconditional agape love looks like. Now, I don't believe for a moment that the Samaritan found stopping to help this enemy easy. That's one of the challenges sometimes. We're trying to put emotion into what we're reading instead of just reading blank words on a page. I don't believe it was easy for the Samaritan to have stopped to help this person. But I like to think the reason that he did was because he saw this person through God's eyes and not through the eyes of his cultural conflict between these two people groups. Which is part of the reason why I believe the final words of the second commandment state, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. As yourself. Now there are messages preached out there that take this command way too far. Way too far. You have to love yourself before you can love your neighbour. And they take it down the premise of, you know, suggestions at the end of the service. Maybe you need to go on a holiday. You know, get away. Re- re- remind yourself of who you are. Yeah, go for a spa day or, or whatever it is. You know, all of these different... Stand in the mirror and just look at yourself until you fall back in love with yourself. You know, it, all of these different approaches, this self promoting self-centred approach in the context of the Christian command to love your neighbour is missing the mark. Now, I've got no issue at all with someone, and I've, I've done it myself, saying to people, you, you, there's nothing wrong with looking at yourself and saying, what, what has God seen me? And going on that journey to see yourself through God's eyes. But not when it's just this self me, egotistical approach to wanting to feel better. I would suggest to you that one of the core truths at the heart of loving your neighbour as ourself is being willing, now get this, is being willing to see yourself in your neighbour. Willing to see yourself in your neighbour, not necessarily the outer layer, i.e. what they have done to you or how they approach speaking to you. But I'm talking about on a sub-level, on a heart level. And see them in the lost, struggling um, souls, capacity that we once were. We live in this fallen world and the reason people do terrible things is because they're lost because they've fallen. They haven't maybe been introduced to God or to Jesus. They haven't 
They haven't been offered another way. For them, a lot of the time, it can be fight or flight, you know, that, not, not fight or flight, it can be, um, you know, I've got to fight my way through life. No one's cared about me, so I've, I've, I've you know, I, I don't care about other people. There's a million reasons why someone is horrible to other people. Backgrounds, history, how they were treated, there are, there are hundreds of things. But we've got to be willing to stand and say, do you know, Lord, once I was broken, I was lost, I did similar things to other people, but you saved me. Help me, Lord, to see myself as I was then in them and help me to be that person that introduced me to Christ, me to compassion, me to mercy, irrespective of what they've done, because that is agape love. And I think the second is to show compassion and mercy to the extent that you would want them to do to you. Jesus says this, does he not? He says this in, in Matthew's Gospel. Whatever you wish to others, or whatever you wish others would do to you, do likewise to them. There's this, there's this transition, isn't there? We want people to be kind to us, then we need to lead the way. We've got to set the example, the Christly example. Um, can I invite the band up, please? For What's wonderful is that um, a welcome, as I'm sure it is at many cases, but you know I'm naturally biased to welcome, um, you will see this love your neighbour as yourself actively working out. And I'm really, really encouraged and I think it's a wonderful thing. You know, there are people in this church that will go out of their way to take people to hospital visits, take people to doctor's visits, to pick up prescriptions, to go and pick them up for church, for events. There are people in this church that, were a drop of a hat, will go around and help people fix fences and just do practical work. There are people in this church that will go out of their way to come and say, is there any way we can help and support people because they're you know, they're, they're running out of food or, you know, something's broken in their house. Can we provide, you know, financially and practically? You know, people who are ill in the church, you know, there's always an army of people that are willing to say, I'll, I'll cook a meal. We'll go and visit. You know, there are people here when, when people walk through that door on a Sunday who are struggling for whatever reason there's always an army of people in here saying, how can we help? How can we meet the need? Can we cook them a meal? Can we buy them warm clothes? What can we do? It's amazing. I mean, just our many uh, you know, church initiatives to be able to help and support and, and bless our community was one of, the, one of the main driving forces why that meeting that we had on Thursday was so positive. That woman who came from the council to see about any potential building work, she had already pre-prepared the letter for us to give us a green light to move to the next stage. And even Matt, I don't know if Matt's here, where he is. 
Matt said, you know, I haven't seen that before. That's the power of prayer. <laughs> and it's the power of recognition that they know, they, because of what we sent them, what, let me get this out in the right way. Because we had told them everything that you as a church do, both in this church, for the community and for the people of the church, that was a driving force, and she said this, it was a driving force for us getting that green light to go to the next stage. That's loving your neighbour as yourself. Now, is that always easy? No. Does it mean you have to go out of your way? Yes. Is it, uh, 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 is it uh, inconvenient to you? Yes, a lot of the time. But there is a good proportion of people in this church that are willing to do that and do do that. Praise God. Now, I don't say this so that after the service we can float around with our coffees in this self-righteous, look at us, you know. I don't say that at all. Because in essence, it is God through his Holy Spirit via a surrendered, humble heart of the Christians in this church that is the reason why we have the privilege to care for so many neighbours in our community and amongst our church as we do. It's just our faithfulness to say, Lord, how can I step in and help? That's what it is. It's all, God, it's all the Lord's work. We've just got to keep our eyes open and be faithful to do so. We're not perfect. And yes, there is always things that we can do, both as a church and individually. But it's always important to recognise what the Lord is doing through his people, which is why I mention these things. But we first must always give him the glory for it all. But there is then nothing wrong with us continuing to encourage each other to continue to do good work. Amen? Loving our neighbour as ourselves, as we would be wanted to be treated, is a wonderful blessing. It's a wonderful blessing. And anyone in here that has done so, I has walked away, I am very sure, I'm confident to say this, has walked away feeling as light as air because they've been able to help and do something positive. I tell you, that's a drug. <laughs> it's a good feeling. As long as we're walking away saying, praise God. Thank the Lord that he's given me that opportunity because in doing so, I've been able to bless them and help myself grow closer to Christ in doing so. But I know it's not easy. And as I said, if you're struggling with something, come and see us after the service with prayer. Amen.